Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. And we're already having fun in here. And that's what we should be doing is feeling the joy of the Lord. And we are going to be talking today uh, about communication with Dr. Glenn Pickering. You know, maybe you've heard this before. We don't communicate. You've maybe said that. (laughs) And probably the truth is something other than we don't communicate. And my guest is Dr. Glenn Pickering. He is a author, a counselor, a seminar leader. What else do you do, Glenn? I write books and I play with my grandkids. That's right. That's yeah. right. So he's busy. In other words, he's busy, but he's taking time out today to talk to us about communication. So, Glenn, when people say to you, we don't communicate, what's your response? Well, I actually sort of have two responses. Um, one, I know what you mean. Two, that's not actually true. You're still saying a lot of words back and forth, and some of them are hurtful words or defending words or blaming words or arguing words. But So there's a lot of communication but what they're saying is, yeah, but we don't communicate in a way that leaves us feeling connected to each other. And that part's actually true. Mm-hmm. So how do you break that cycle? Well, um, you better have answers. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of answers, but not to that question. Okay. okay so um, <laughs> anyway, so I've come to understand that there are like lots of different paths to that place where we feel like we're not really communicating, but... I found it on my years of doing counseling that there were four that really kind of stand out for me. So I just want to take a few minutes to talk about each of those today, if that makes sense to you. It does. Okay, cool. So one way that we get to that place of we don't communicate is because we're making the mistake that I call not hearing the truth. And here's what I mean by that. We assume that what the other person is trying to tell us about themselves, and they're always trying to tell us something about themselves, is really about us. So I'm trying to tell you something about me, but what I'm really doing is telling you something about you. Yeah, that's how we twist it around in our head. Mm, now, boy, that's uh-huh. diabolical. It is diabolical, and we do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And the, I see sort of three main places where that comes up. Like, for example, it can come up just because of our own little human insecurities and because we're kind of egocentric, all of us, in our own way. So my partner can say to me, you know, Glenn, I'm a little worried. We seem to be going over a budget this month. And see, if I hear the truth, I think, oh, what are you worried about exactly? What are you? In other words, you're telling me something about you. But mostly what we're more likely to do if our partner says, I'm a little worried, we seem like we're going over the budget this month, is to say something like, oh, so you're saying I'm spending too much money. And the other person is going to look at us with that look of, what what just happened? Mm-hmm. Or sort of confusion or like frustration and they're shaking their head while they look at us with furrowed brows. And anytime you see your partner look like that, sort of confused, a little frustrated, shaking their head, you can just know you probably just made this mistake. <laughs> okay. So what would, what would be a better way of saying that? You are concerned about going over budget. What would be a better way of saying it? See, the thing is, if I really understand that they're just telling them, me something about themselves, I'm a little worried about the budget this month. I'm either going to say something empathetic, like, oh, okay, well, well, glad you told me. We can figure that one out. Or a question like, oh, yeah, like, what, what part are you most worried about? Or I might even just say, oh, I didn't know that. Like, what? show me the numbers so we can kind of do that together. I mean, I can do anything mm-hmm. that just refers to the, the thing they just said. 
I'm worried about our budget. Okay, but when your partner says that, did your blood pressure go up? I, I promise you, and I want all of our hearers to hear this part. If you hear that and your blood pressure goes up, you be absolutely certain that you just made this mistake. <laughs> okay. okay. It's a great sign. And mm-hmm. I don't even mean it's sarcastic. I just mean, so if I see the confused look or if I feel myself getting kind of amped up, like the adrenaline kicks in, see, I'm doing those things because I'm acting as if I'm under attack. And this is our body's response to being under attack. Okay. Except... We're not being attacked. The other person's not even saying anything about us. They're just trying to tell us something about themselves. So part of our task, if I see that look, <laughs> what? or I get that frustrated kind of shake in their head, or they say, I didn't, I didn't say that, then I need to do two things if I'm willing. I need to apologize and say, oh, oh, I think I'm, I must have made that about myself. Sorry, because that's what actually happened. And I need to understand God just showed me a part of me that still needs to be healed. And we all have certain places where we're a little wounded or we're a little hurt or we're insecure or there's something about ourselves that needs to get healed that's still kind of in process. And if I respond to anything the other person says as if that's about me, you can be guaranteed that, um, A, I'm going to take it wrong and be upsetting to the other person, but also that God is literally just showing me, Glenn, see, this is a place where you're still broken. Hmm. Not judgmentally, because God's not judgmental, just clear, like, oh, oh, I see that. I still have something about money that gets triggered really hard when somebody else just starts talking to me. Okay, so there's some healing that needs to happen there. And so if I really am totally in my most spiritual self, I'm going to say, oh, sorry, I took that wrong. And I'm going to make a little mental note to myself that in my prayer time tonight, I'm going to ask God about what part of myself needs to be healed. And I'm going to try and be as open and hearing about that as I can be. If you've been fighting about money, though, or uh-huh. stressed about money for yep. decades, right. and a comment like this comes out. Yep. Yep, that's the second how thing. Do you, so how do you one, not Yeah, one way, we don't hear, one way we don't hear the truth is because you know, we have our own insecurities. Second, we might not hear the truth because, like you just said, we might have had previous conversations that went badly. And so I'm starting off with the assumption that this one's going to go badly. So if you come to me and say, hey, Glenn, can I just talk to you about the schedule? And the last couple of times we talked about the schedule, it went really bad. I am now responding as if we're having a bad conversation. Why do we have to talk about the schedule? And see, I'm assuming that we're going to have a bad conversation. My assumption leads me to respond in that sort of defensive way, which means we are now going to have a bad conversation. Yeah. Well, it's a, a tough really, one. really powerful self-fulfilling prophecy and i just think luckily we really are new creatures in christ and and we're being made new every moment and so anytime somebody starts a conversation with me that's gone badly in the past i literally need to just stop for a second and forgive me and them for the fact that i went poorly in the past and ask god to help me find a way to respond differently this time because if i respond the same way i always respond we're just going to have the same old conversation we always have. And so I have to slow down longer to let God put something else on my heart other than what I normally would say in that place. Okay. Because we're a new being, and God's always kind of recreating us. Mm-hmm. All right, Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest, and we're talking about communication. So I'm, I want to see if I can communicate well here, Glenn. <laughs> so <laughs> Go ahead. if I'm not hearing the truth, and I right. and we're not hearing the truth, but I say to you, Glenn, I'm really concerned about our finances. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to tell you something about the finances. 
about you and about me. Right. I'm worried. Right. Exactly. But you're That's exactly responding right. in a way that you feel like you're getting attacked. Like something you just said something bad about me. Yeah. Which is why the other person is going to look so puzzled because, like, no, I just, I just made a factual statement basically, and that statement was about me. And I'm getting this weird emotional response as if it's about you and like you're being attacked, mm. none of which is actually happening. So if I were to say, hey, Glenn, I need to just say something about me right now. And uh-huh. the way I'm feeling mm-hmm. is this month in particular with taxes and property taxes due, I'm feeling a little stressed out about the budget. Right. And see, if you say that to me, it just helps me kind of remember, okay, that's right. Yeah, just tell me something about yourself. Thanks for reminding me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, as best I can, think, okay, cool. Thanks for telling me. What do you think we should do? What are our options, do you think? Because I realized you're really just trying to invite me into a conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned, and I would like it if we could talk about this. Okay. And if I don't hear that about me, I think, oh, okay. So what happens if it doesn't end well, like it hasn't ended well a hundred times before, <laughs> which you know, what are the odds of that? Right, uh, pretty pretty high. Yeah. So, when did I do this thing, which I know you've heard me talk about before? As soon as we can feel like we're going in one of our old ways, whichever one of us notices it, says, "I think we're doing this the old way." Ooh, I well, like this that. feels like our old way. Mm-hmm. Notice we, <laughs> not you. I think we're doing this our old way. And again, there's no condemnation, just an observation. And as soon as one of us notices that we stop and we try and as soon as we can sort of restart the conversation from that place. And what does that do to your your spirit or your mood when she says, Oops, Glenn, I think we're doing this the old way? You do, know, do you honestly, get relaxed or do you get yes. more defensive? No, nope. when she says that, and I can see it in her when I say it too, it's actually a relief, like, oh you're right. Okay. Oh, you're right. We don't have to do that. Oh, thank goodness. That's, that's, you're right. We don't have to go down that route. And might I say that if I'm not getting my way? Uh-huh. Because <laughs> here's the thing. What I really, really want if I'm married is to be really, really connected to my wife. And so if I quote-unquote win this battle, but in a way that makes her feel bad or hurt or bitter or resentful, so we drift further apart... I won the battle and I just lost the war. Mm-hmm. So I need to remember, what is it I'm trying to win exactly? And if I'm trying to win this battle, I will lose the war every time. What does that mean again? That means if Gwen and I get an argument, or me and anybody else, as soon as I think this is a me against you conversation and I start acting like that, I've just hurt that conversation. I've just hurt that relationship. Okay. And by being quote-unquote right, I'm now in wrong relationship with that person that I'm speaking to. And God has a real, real clear opinion about being in the right relationship with him and with our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like you're walking around on eggshells or you feel like you're drifting apart or maybe you don't feel like you're in love anymore, we don't talk anymore, we don't communicate? That's the topic today with Dr. Glenn Pickering. We're going to cover uh, four points. The one we just got done covering is the mistake of not hearing the truth. We assume that the things that they are trying to tell us about themselves are really about us. And there's the problem. So we're going to come back after a short break and get on to uh, point number two. And I won't even tell you what that is yet. I want you to just sit tight. And when we come back, uh, you will hear what number two is. Dr. Glenn Pickering can be found at drglennpickering.com. He offers a lovely offer. For those of you about midway down the page, you can... Sign up for a free 20-minute consultation with them on the phone. No strings attached. Pretty cool deal. 
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. I was uh, very sorry to hear about Dr. Charles Stanley passed today, he, but he is uh, in the presence of, the, of Jesus right now. So that is that is wonderful. He spent an amazing career um, and life and ministry telling people about Jesus. Now we went and met him in person today. That's pretty cool. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest in person right here in the studio with me. <laughs> and we're talking about when you don't communicate. And you say you don't communicate, but the reality is you actually do communicate. You might be blaming or starting arguments, and the argument is probably the same one you've had over and over. Um, and when you are always defending your position, it doesn't bring you resolution. So we're going to talk through this and better ways to do things. Um, we're all the way to number two out all of right. four. Yeah. <laughs> so, Glenn, what is the, the number two the number two point. The number two thing that if we if we do this consistently will then take us to that place where eventually we quit communicating. Just like number one, if we make the mistake of not hearing the truth, all of us will do that once in a while, take things too personally. But if we do that consistently, the other person will eventually just quit talking to us because all our conversations go so badly. And that's one way that the we don't communicate thing starts. Second way it can start is by um, when we go around acting, like our problems are totally their fault. And um, and we play this game way often. And I just think, see, we do that because we believe the serpent. And I'm not like trying to be silly about this. The serpent says, Glenn, you're not good enough. That's who you actually are. And your mistakes prove that. So as soon as you admit to a mistake or acknowledge it or take responsibility for it, you're admitting, see, that there's something wrong with you, that you're not good enough. And if we believe that serpent's lie instead of believing God's truth, which is that we are amazing and precious and beloved no matter what, then we think when we make a mistake that we have to deny it or rationalize it or blame it on somebody else or act like it didn't happen. It's... um. You can see why that, again, will eventually will lead to the we don't communicate place. Because if any time a problem comes up, my partner hears from me how it's all their fault, they're the bad one, they have to get it together. If you would just get your act together, I'd be fine. Well, of course, pretty soon they're just going to quit talking to us because it's so frustrating. And they just walk away feeling bad about themselves. And it's like, why would I, why would I try and talk to you anymore? So um, we need to understand then that... Um, that we really are here to learn stuff. And all of us have lessons. We're in the process of learning if we're on a Christian path. Sometimes people say, well, what am I supposed to do next with my life? And I say, I don't know. What lesson is God trying to teach you today? Because if we really want to know what's our next step in the journey, all we have to do is look at the lesson that keeps being handed to us today and this week, and we'll know, oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's the direction in which God's trying to build my character right now. And we're always in that process. And so we're always learning stuff. We're always making mistakes as we go along. And I just think, if you watch a little toddler learn how to walk, well, they make a lot of mistakes. They fall down a lot. 
But see, we don't get all caught up in their mistakes. We're just so excited that they're walking. Mom and dad take a picture of their kid who takes the first step. Yeah, you take the first step and then he fell down. <laughs> and stuff. But we don't care about that. We just think, hey, they took that first step. They're learning. This is so great. Well, see, that's how God looks at us. We make mistakes, and God's like, yeah, of course he did. You're mm-hmm. learning. So if we really get who we are, beloved in God's sight, precious no matter what, and we have stuff to learn, like, oh, okay. Well, then when I make a mistake, it's like, okay, well, this is just apparently a thing I still need to learn. And that's perfectly great. But see, if I believe the serpent that there's something wrong with me and I should try and hide that, make sure nobody finds out, then when I make a mistake, I hope nobody notices. I look for somebody else to blame. I kind of pretend it didn't happen or all those things. Instead of just thinking, oh, yeah, half of that last bad conversation we just had is because of my contribution. Hmm. Yeah. So we need to just be safe enough to understand. We don't need, how can I say? We don't need to earn our justification. God has already said, client, you are amazing in my sight. You're precious to me. You are wonderfully and amazingly made. You are so good. So I don't have to prove that. I don't have to earn that. I don't have to defend that, not even to myself. But I need to live from the place as if that's true. And as soon as I want to blame somebody else for the stuff that's happening in our life, see, I am not living from that place. I'm living from the fearful place of I'm really afraid that if this is my fault, that means I'm the bad one. It's like, wow, that fear will really wreck relationships. Mm-hmm. Is it okay, or is it, when you think of yourself as a, a humble servant that's going to learn right. lessons? Yeah. And that that is going to be a journey you will have with with God throughout the rest of your life. Right. And it's a fun journey, and it's exciting, and it's amazing. That yeah. little kid who figures out how to walk, they start running and going all kinds of places they couldn't go before. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? If we're willing to make the mistakes, learn the lessons, and keep moving on, life is really good. Yeah. And if you live long enough, you're going to realize you you did a, a certain thing a certain way for 25 years. Right. And all of a sudden, one day, uh-huh. you learn a better way to do it. Right. And you look back and go, all right, I'm still growing and learning. And exactly. that's a good thing. Right. In fact, when people say to me, Glenn, I still have so much to learn. I really literally think to myself, I'm so glad you know that. Oh, it's so important. Yes. Because I just think, I see so many Christians that seem to think it's their job to look like they already know everything and have everything together. And I think, no. Our job as a Christian is just to humbly see what our strengths are without getting all arrogant about it and to see what our weaknesses are and just really work on those things. I yeah. want to celebrate my strengths. I want to work on my weaknesses. And that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. Mm-hmm. And whatever weaknesses I have or whatever struggles I have, if I'm in a relationship long enough, that struggle will come up in that relationship. It's a given. It's not a maybe. <laughs> so I just need to know anything I need to work on will come up in that relationship at some point. That's just there's no way around that one. Mm-hmm. But aren't we always looking for someone to blame? Right, because we always don't... we want someone yeah. to be along with with us and go. Right. Wow, it's part your partly your fault too, right? But see, what I think is is always fifty percent my fault. So, like, let's say my partner says to me, Glenn, I'm really kind of bummed. We're so short on money this month, and I move into. Well, are you saying I've spent too much money? Now, see, that's my half of how that relationship got off, that conversation got mm-hmm. off track. Now, my partner's free to say, huh, Glenn, sounds like we're starting to have one of our old conversations. Warren's free to say, huh, that's not actually what I meant. Or to say, well, who do you think is spending all the money? So, 
See, each of us has 50-50. Each of us has a place at that conversation where you can either stop that conversation <laughs> in a bit different yeah. or get that one kick-started and turn up the heat. Yeah. And, and, and at any given point, either one of us can keep that heat going or decide, I don't want to keep doing this. That's why it's really important to understand they're all 50-50 because both of us have numerous, numerous places along the play where mm-hmm. we could do that differently. Yeah. So what if you trip over nine Amazon boxes coming into the house? <laughs> I mean, then maybe just hypothetically. Maybe, yeah. Hypothetically, of course. Uh, yeah, but maybe can't you at that point start to say, well, some of these spending issues belong to you and some to me, and so we I'm collectively say, have to. Do I'm just going to say, honey, I'm a little worried about how many boxes I'm tripping over. Maybe you should walk more carefully. Well, maybe <laughs> I should, but. <laughs> I'm just going to say, so I have a concern about that. I'm not judging. I'm not, there's no you language. I'm just telling you, I'm starting to get concerned about this. And they're free to say, hey, thank you for being so honest and coming to me. They're free to say, golly, I, I actually am feeling a little bad about it too. Or they're free to say, it's your fault. You're a terrible person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, they're pretty well too, right? They can, I mean, but it's up to them then to choose to do the same thing I'm trying to do, which is just hear everything I'm saying about me. And just get to say whatever they want to say about their own self. Mm-hmm. And anytime the two of us are doing that, we're just trying to say, here's how this is for me. Here's what's happening for me. Here's how I'm feeling. We're going to have a great conversation, and it's going to lead to resolution. The instant we stop doing that, boy, we're going to end up in a really bad place. Mm-hmm. So if you cover up your mistake or right. deny or rationalize or blame others for those mistakes, you might find out that that other person wants to avoid right talking to you because it's like what's the point i try and talk to glenn about that but he blows it off or he blames me he makes me feel bad he acts like nothing happened I, and then quickly changes the subject quickly changes the subject to flex talks about somebody else i and eventually they're going to quit trying to think you know it's not worth it and once we quit talking about one thing we eventually quit talking about everything mm-hmm. boy is that a slippery slope uh-huh and it I just bet- so is I bet there's a lot of grease on that slide, too. Uh But it happens fast, doesn't it? Right. So anytime a couple says, well, Glenn, there's one topic we just don't, we agree not to talk about it. I think, oh, boy, I know where that one's going to end up. It's like an alcoholic saying to me, well, Glenn, I'm only going to have three beers tonight. Oh, golly. That's, no, no. (laughs) That's a real bad idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that, we're going to continue this discussion with Dr. Glenn Pickering. Go check him out at drglennpickering.com. We're talking about how to communicate and you say we don't communicate, but we do communicate. So we're going to continue that uh, conversation. And we've got um, a lot happening, like especially next week. We have our spring fundraiser. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's always a time when we gather and we have amazing stories of what God's doing in everyone's right. life. People people write in and they tell us their story of what how God has touched them and what Faith Radio means to them. And really lovely. It's like a yeah. big family of family outing and affair and we just love it so anyway that starts all next week you can learn more about Glenn of course at drglennpickering.com we'll be right back Show with Bill Arno, Prime Time Drive.
let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I'm back with Dr. Glenn Pickering today. He's here with me in studio. He started as an engineer, and then he was a pastor, and then he went and got his PhD in psychology. So he his brain thinks in a lot of inter- interesting ways. And today <laughs> we're talking about communicating, and sometimes people come into his office and they say, we don't communicate. And he says, no, you actually do communicate a lot, but sometimes it's blame or it's arguments or or you're arguing about the same thing over and over. But maybe you feel like you walk on eggshells or you think you're drifting apart or you're just not in love anymore. So we're going to figure out ways to be more intentional and communicate better. Now, our first uh, two points that we made was the mistake of not hearing the truth. And we assume that the things that they are trying to tell us about themselves are really about us. Um, and that really is rooted in insecurity or previous experiences. Um, but the other person is always trying to tell us about themselves. Then the mistake of believing that our problems are totally their fault. So we cover up our mistakes, we deny, we rationalize, we blame others for those mistakes. And you can see why at the end of that experiment, the other person just wants to avoid talking to you. Because our problems are always 50-50. Now, let's get, Glenn, to the powder keg, All right. which is number three. And the powder keg is <laughs> the mistake of controlling others. Yes, and all of you who uh, struggle with codependency as much as I did growing up will hopefully recognize yourself here, hopefully in a non-judgmental way, because remember, there's no condemnation in Christ, none. It's just helpful to see our patterns so then we can be equipped to figure out how to break those patterns. But um, I just think all the ways we have of judging other people, sort of emotionally manipulating them or using guilt to get them to behave in certain ways or violating people's boundaries— those are all just ways of trying to control somebody else to get them to do what we think they should do. And I just want to say as clearly as I can, people hate. I don't mean dislike. I mean hate. Really fundamental, primary, primitive hate being told what to do because it violates their free will. So, And one of the things that makes us uniquely human is that God gave us free will. We, we get to decide what we're going to do, how we're going to feel, how we run our life. Mm-hmm. So as soon as it feels like somebody's trying to take that away from us, we have a really almost primeval reaction to that. I mean, it's visceral. Like, we really, even a four-year-old would say, you're not the boss of me. Like, I mean, even That's a true. little kid understands. I know. No. I'm supposed to be able to make the decisions that I'm capable of making. I'm supposed to be able to do the things I'm able to do. And when you step in and do them for me or tell me I'm doing them wrong or trying to get me to do it a different way by guilting me or making me think I'm bad, um, we have an intense reaction to that, which will lead to that place of we don't communicate almost as fast as anything else, I think. Because mm-hmm. if we feel like we're being controlled or told what to do, I mean, we really, really have, like I say, that visceral reaction to it. Now, because I grew up in a very codependent family and extended family, I would make this mistake all the time. And people would get out frustrated with me and tell me it's being too controlling. And I would honestly think to myself, I was just trying to be helpful. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. I, honestly, I really did think that. And, um, and I understand now the difference between help and control is this. Control is help that nobody's asking for. I decide for you what help you need and how much you need it, and I do that for you, even though you are not asking me to do it. No. Yep. I always think it's like an answer for which there is no question. <laughs> 
an old electronic, electrical engineering professor of mine said one time, he was working in this lab, he worked in a research and development facility, and they created a circuit that was really cool and could do really cool stuff, but they couldn't find any practical application for it. <laughs> so he said it's like a cure for which there is no known disease. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, so so often we give answers for which there's no actual question. Yeah. I come home and say, oh, you know, just found out, you know, we're going to have to get a new roof on this one building that we own. It's a bummer. It's going to cost us 12000 bucks. blah, blah, blah. I'm bummed about it. If the other person says, well, you're being ripped off. You should get another estimate. Or that's really stupid. Or, we shouldn't do that right now. Or, what? It's like, whoa, I'm getting all kinds of answers to a question I didn't ask. Mm-hmm. Same thing we do with our kids. The kid comes home and says, oh, I did really bad on my reading test. I told you, we need to start having you study sooner in the evening. Like, because, like, you asked me how my day was. <laughs> I told you that I felt kind of bad because I did bad on my reading test. And immediately, you started telling me what to do. Like, and you see that same look on their face, like, I don't remember asking that question. Because <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> so, we need to be really careful about not giving answers for questions nobody's asking. So I've come up with these two questions for my own self. Anytime I want to quote-unquote help somebody, (laughs) I try and remember to ask these two questions before I do anything. One, would you like help? A lot of times, like, no, I got it. And even if they're making frustrated noises and banging on their computer, (laughs) that doesn't necessarily mean they want help. They might think, no, I want to figure this out. All right. So I'm going to ask, do you need help? And if they say yes, then before I do anything, I need to remember to ask what kind of help. And this is true no matter who we're talking to. Got a little um, puzzle book for uh, our four-year-old granddaughter. She likes doing little activity books, and she likes doing them with me, which means she likes to have me explain what she's supposed to do, and then she wants me to quit talking while she does it. (laughs) So I get that. So she was frustrated and said, do you want help? I said, yes. And before I started jumping into my lecture about what we're supposed to do on what page, I said, what well, kind of help? And turned out she was just having trouble getting the plastic wrapper off the book. The only help she wanted mm-hmm. was to figure out how to get that wrapper off. You were two steps ahead of her, weren't you? Yes, in fact. And that would have been so frustrating to her. And I would have seen her look at me with that look I've gotten a lot of my life. Like, what are you doing? So we didn't understand. I like those two questions, Dr. Yeah. Glenn Pickering. They are, would you like help, mm-hmm. and what can I do that would be helpful? Right. Assuming I get a yes to the first question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like that. Would you like help Right, is better than uh, what can I do for you? Right. Because that sounds like, oh, no, I, I, but would you like help sounds very invitational. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which means yes is an okay answer and no is an okay answer. Right. And I'm not going to be offended. Otherwise, if I'm all controlling, I step in and start helping somebody, and they get frustrated with me. Like, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't ask you for that. And I get all offended. Like, oh, how could you talk to me like that? Mm-hmm. What if they're what just if, telling me a truth. I didn't ask for this. Yeah. What if you get a, a tone back that you don't like? What can I do that would be helpful? Well, I'll tell you what would be helpful. You just leave me alone for a little bit. Um, Ouch. Yes, that hurts. But again, see, if... If I just talk about what I want, remember, we're making that mistake we're not careful about um, not hearing the truth. If the other person hears it, how could I help? If you could just stay away from me, they hear my question, how can I help? Not as a question, but as sort of a judgment of them, which is why they respond that way. But if they actually had heard it as, no, it's just a question, how can I help? Then all they need to say is, well, I don't need any help right now, but um, thank you for asking, and I'll come to you if I do need help. Great. 
Mm -hmm. they would just talk about with themselves, not about me. Instead of saying, you need to get away from me. If you would just go away, remember that you word is really inflammatory. Mm -hmm. When James 3 talks about how the tongue can start a fire, I think, right. All you have to do is use the word you at the start of a sentence, and you're going to start a fire. I promise you that. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. it's an inflammatory word. So maybe the preface would be, this is a gentle, simple question. It's not a judgment. I'm not trying to fix anything. Right, exactly. Would you like any kind of help, and what can I do that would be helpful? And if so, great. How can I help? Mm -hmm. What what would be helpful? Um, And the great thing about those two questions is people... I think this will make sense to people. It's actually a form of discernment. See, my ego just assumes, oh, you need help, and I know what you need, so I'm just going to do it, which is a very non-discerning way to behave. It's just letting my ego run everything instead of actually being discerning. But if I actually ask that question, would you like help, and how could I help? And I actually am really, really listening to what they're saying. See, it's actually a form of discernment. And people think, well, discernment means prayer, but I think, no, there's lots of ways to be discerning. And asking those questions and listening carefully to the answers is a way of being discerning. Mm -hmm. To really understand, to discern, what can I do here that would be helpful? Instead of assuming if I ask those two questions. Those are two forms of discernment. And it's important to understand that that's true. All right, Glenn, now let's add stubbornness and pride into the discussion. (laughs) Stubbornness and pride. You need to quit talking about me. All right, so... um, Yes, we, um, we can get prideful, and prideful is part of why we make everything about ourselves. But it's just important to go back to remember it's not. If somebody says, can I help you, they're not making a judgment about me. They're just, they're just saying, I'm wondering if I can be of help to you. And if, they say, if I say, yeah, and they say, great, I'm wondering how I could be helped to you, they're not saying anything about me. They're really, again, just saying, I'm willing to be helpful if there's a way I can help. That's it. And as soon as I respond harshly or prideful, you know, when some of the things we've been saying so far, you can be guaranteed that I just got kicked into that prideful thought. Like, oh, so you think I can't do it myself? No, I asked the question. I didn't assume it or think it. I just asked that question. Mm-hmm. What if I have trouble receiving help? I don't want help. Yeah, I think... I just have trouble. I, I think... Mm, I personally have spent my life working on this one, so I'll just talk about myself for a second. Used to be anywhere I go, people say, hey, can I help you with that? Oh, no, I got it. But see, that's a wrong belief. See, it's based on the belief that I'm alone and I have to figure out everything myself. But we live in community. There are people around us who love and care for us, who want to be on our team. In fact, part of being in life is to learn how to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, which means letting them love us also, because it's a two-way street. So I really understand now that part of being a loving person is, yes, I want to be a loving giver to other people, but I also have to be a loving receiver of the gifts those people want to give to me, that that's actually part of being in a loving relationship. And if I'm always just saying, no, I got it, I'm literally not letting them care for me, and I will end up alone, which don't want to end up that way. So now anytime people ask if they can help, I literally, I always say thanks because I really do appreciate the question, and if there's any way can, they can help me, I want to let them help me, and I want to be grateful that they would. And that way... You receive their blessing. Right, and I receive their blessing, their gifts that they're trying so hard to just give to me. And I need to drop all the pride and just receive the gift because um, that's part of the loop. If somebody goes out, buys me a present, drives to my house, gives it to me, I see them standing there with a present, I say, no thanks, and I shut the door. See, 
I just took what could have been a really sweet, really amazing, really loving moment and literally wrecked it mm-hmm. just because I wasn't a gracious receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, thank you, that was so great. Mm-hmm. And whether it's a compliment people give you or a gift or a thoughtful gesture or just even a loving question, it's important to remember it's really, really important to that relationship that we become gracious receivers as well as caring givers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, we're always so quick to make sure that there's um, reciprocation, and we, we have a hard time receiving. Instead of just saying, thank you. Yeah, I know. Like I, when, when my friends buy lunch, I always say, hey, thanks for buying, and next time you can buy again. Right. Nice. <laughs> I like it. That's yeah. great. <laughs> I like how you're thinking. <laughs> All right, let's take a little break. Dr. Right. Ben Pickering is my guest. We're talking about communication today. If you have any questions or comments about what you've heard, this last one in particular, the mistake of controlling others. Maybe you're in a relationship where you're feeling controlled and you don't like it. If you have a question, you can text it over, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Glenn's website is drglennpickering.com. That's Glenn with two N's. Lovely offer. He'll talk to you for 20 minutes, no charge, no strings attached. It's a pretty sweet deal. Be right back. Podcasts like mine are available through listener support. We're just a few weeks away from our spring fundraiser. Make a gift now and help start strong on April 24th. Give now by following the link in the show notes or visit myfaithradio.com. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. We're talking about communicating better. Glenn, here's a text that came in. Two, two older sisters, both controlling, who are fighting and will not be in the same room with each other. If you want to see them at events, you need to schedule them apart. It makes it difficult for holidays and birthday parties. I'm the younger sister and a middle child, so the peacema- so I'm the peacemaker in the group. So I want to graciously say... I would lovingly, lovingly encourage you to quit your job. As the peacemaker? (laughs) Yes. And to think, you can't make other people. This is that control thing. See, I just think, if I just did the right thing, then these people would act a certain way or feel a certain way. But it turns out they're going to do whatever they do. Yeah. And I wrote in my book, Being a Gentle Man, something to the effect about, the only thing harder for me than letting go of control is admitting I never had any. Even when people say, well, Glenn, you got to let go of control. I think, no, we have to acknowledge we don't have any. People are going to do whatever they're going to do. Mm-hmm. My job is to live my best life. To let God try and guide that life as much as I can. And other people are going to react how they do. Some people heard Jesus and followed him everyone. Some people heard Jesus and blew him off. Mm-hmm. Some people heard Jesus and wanted to kill him. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. People are going to have their reaction, whatever that is. So, um. I'd be tempted to say to those sisters, hey, I'm going to quit inviting you separately, although I might do that too. That's not a bad option. Or I might say, hey, I'm going to invite you both, but I expect you to behave yourself when you get there. Mm-hmm. Like, that's on you. Yeah. I need for you to behave better when you're around your sister. Oh, but she did this. Uh-huh. I'm asking you, not her. I'm not talking to her. I'm talking to you. I'm asking you to behave differently when you come to our house. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say exactly the same thing to her, just so you know. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you guys to get it together. 
at least when you're at my house. Yeah. One party, come if you like. That's right. Yeah. I like that. All right, Glenn, let's get to number four. All right. And that is the mistake of unforgiveness. Which is kind of what we were just talking about, and in it fact. It sure is. Um, yeah. I always think to myself, people say, well, Glenn, I have so much trouble forgiving. And I, it's not that I don't believe them. I totally do. And I feel for them. But I also understand this. There are at least several reasons why we tend not to forgive people. And one is... You know, if I come from a tag-playing family, and of course my goal is to not be it, it's kind of convenient to have somebody in my life who is always the bad one. Even if the thing they did that was terrible was 27 years ago, <laughs> but I just keep bringing it up like it would happen on Tuesday. Um, because, see, if I just keep reminding them that they're the bad one, then I'm not. not the bad one. Right. No. And the whole goal of tag is not to win the game. The goal is to not be the bad one, right? Yeah. And so... Honestly, sometimes people struggle with forgiveness because it's kind of comfortable being the one who's never the bad one. And so if any of that's happening, we just have to just ask God to just show us carefully if, if that's what we're doing. We just need God to let us just show us that, yes, that's what you're doing. You're keeping that person perpetually in the doghouse because it's kind of nice for you. Well, when God said we're supposed to love our neighbor and our brothers and sisters as ourselves by thinking... Having somebody be in the eternal doghouse is not really a way of loving them as I love myself because I sure wouldn't want somebody to do that to me. So mm-hmm. if, if and I just ask people to search their heart, if they can tell that there's at least some of that going on, then I just ask them to say, okay, if you were going to treat them from now on the way you would want to be treated as if you had made a mistake 27 years ago, what would that look like? And if they say, hey, I want to acknowledge my sin, but I also want people to welcome me back, to be gracious to me, to let me know that even though I made a mistake, they still care for me, I think, great, those are real good ideas. <laughs> you know, next time you're with that person, I would ask that you behave like that mm-hmm. as a way of letting go of that knee-jerk tendency to just want somebody else, literally anybody else, to be it, because then I'm not. Mm-hmm. If I come from a fearful, tag-playing family where somebody always had to be the bad one, I'm going to have that knee-jerk reaction of wanting always somebody else to be the bad one. So mm-hmm. I just have to, again, do that discernment, let God show me if that's happening in my life, and then just really understand, okay, I need to start treating that person like I would want to be treated myself. Mm-hmm. So, Glenn, let's say there's this mistake of unforgiveness, but mm-hmm. you've, you've said in your mind that, I, okay, I'll forgive them, but I'm also not going to put myself in a position where I'm ever going to get hurt again by this person. Right. So I'm, I've built a, the Great Wall of China around them. Right. And I think, see, the problem with taking that approach, and lots of us say it at various times, hey, I just don't want to get hurt again. And honestly, I have no judgment when people say that. I really get it. If we've gone through a hard time, we don't want to go through a hard time again. I get it. But I also get, if that's really my vision, I don't want to get hurt again. Well, I'm going to have to keep all of my relationships really superficial and I'm going to have to reject anybody who starts to get a little personal or who might disagree with me about anything. Which means if my goal in life is to not get hurt, I look around at some point and realize I don't have anybody in my life. And we need to understand being alone for every single one of us is our absolute biggest, deepest fear. And my unforgiveness, because I don't want to get hurt again, will literally lead me to that thing I would fear the most, which is the living my life myself. So when I see people kind of hanging on to unforgiveness because maybe they don't want to get hurt again, 
I just want to gently, as gently as I can say, yeah, but is it worth it? I get that there's a part that doesn't want to get hurt, but is it worth living a life where you are literally going to end up all by yourself? Is it really worth that? Because that's where you're heading. Again, not because I'm psychic. I just have seen 2,742 people go through this, and mm-hmm. I know this is what happens if you hold on to that unforgiveness long enough because you don't want to get hurt again. Mm-hmm. You won't get hurt, but you won't be in a relationship with anybody either. Because even your dog will die eventually or do something wrong or poop on the carpet. I mean, you know, it's like... Yeah, but if you say being alone, you can still be in a marriage and be alone, right? I know, honestly, and if I think I don't want to get hurt again, that's exactly the kind of quote-unquote marriage that I create. Yeah, right. So the whole, your unforgiveness will make you unhappy, not to mention it's just not... A, a biblical to I, stay so, in a state of unforgiveness. Right, it's, and, and it's because God really wants us to know what I want for you is to love me and to love your neighbor as yourself. I don't want you to be alone. I want you to be connected to me and to the people in your life. If I cling on to that unforgiveness for whatever reason, I will not be able to live in community. I will not feel loved or loving towards the people in my life. And then this thing that God knows is so important, like literally primary for my life to work right, isn't working right. So that's not a... That's not a small problem. From God's perspective, that's like big. Mm-hmm. Glenn, do you think at some level we're blinded by our unforgiveness? Yes. We think that we're living with forgiveness, but we're really blinded by how much unforgiveness there is. You know, it's shocking to me how true that is for all of us. And um, sometimes people say, well, what if I forgive them and they still make some other mistake? And I think, well, of course they will. Mm-hmm. So will you. I mean, not sarcastically. I mean, we're, same thing we talked about before. We're all we're precious children of God, and we make mistakes. We're supposed to learn things along the way. So to think, well, what if I forgive them, and then they make a mistake at some other point? It's like, well, if they're serious about walking the walk, they will. And we're going to need to forgive them too. Just then, just like all the times and mistakes you're going to make in the meantime, you're going to ask for their forgiveness for mm-hmm. it, and to understanding that you're still learning, you're still trying to figure this out, you got some healing you're doing, and to kind of bear with you while you figure that out. Well, that's all great. If I just do the unforgiveness thing, then none of those things happen. And, you know, I end up not in relationships or in relationships that are really empty. And now, last thing before I go, just for a couple of minutes. Sometimes people do unforgiveness because they don't actually understand the process of forgiveness. I mean, I know I grew up in a family where literally nobody taught me what actual real Christian forgiveness looks like. Tell your brother you're sorry. I'm sorry. And then we do basically the same thing when we get to be adults. Glenn, you're so sarcastic. It hurts my feelings. I'm sorry. And then the person feels like, well, I didn't feel sorry. That didn't feel real. That didn't. That felt so empty, so hollow. And then later they're going to say, Glenn, you never apologized for that. I so did. I said I was sorry, didn't I? Yeah, you said those words. <laughs> and the impact on me was zero. Now, so this is a longer process than I can explain in the the. Um, show so you guys all have to come to one of my seminars because <laughs> we'll talk about this for sure but i can just say as a short thing to kind of get you started we need to understand if we need to ask somebody for forgiveness we're not asking them to forgive us for our behavior we're asking them them to forgive us for the impact that our behavior had on them that was the hurt if Gwen says you're too sarcastic oh sorry i'm too sarcastic well it's empty she can tell i don't even know what i'm talking about but if I, can, if I say, well, what, what about that was hurtful to you? And she tells me exactly why that was hurtful to her, what was hurtful about it, why it was hurtful, and how it affected her. It's like, oh, 
Now I actually get it. Now when I say I'm sorry, I will mean it from the bottom of my heart instead of having it be just a flippant thing I say to try and terminate the conversation. Mm-hmm. Glenn, I got one other thing I'd like to yeah. ask you. Here. Listener said another angle on that, please. I, for, I forgive my sister, but I just don't really know if I want to be reconciled. And of course, there's a long, long story behind that. And I think, see, the interesting thing is reconciled is not actually up to me. I can be forgiving, and I can put out that olive branch and say, basically, if you come over to my house, that's okay, but you have to, <laughs> you have to behave yourself. Um, and they might think, well, the heck with you, I'm not coming. All right. I mean, I can't make somebody reconcile. I can choose to forgive them, and I can let go of that, and I can quit carrying that baggage around for my own sake, because otherwise I can't do God's work. But whether we're reconciled or not depends on whether they're equally willing to be in that different sort of relationship. Mm. That's, a, that's a good distinction and a good point. You can forgive, but there may not be reconciliation. Right, because yeah. they might not want that. I, yeah. Sometimes I've tagged playing people in my life who are literally married to not being yet. Well, when I say I forgive them, they think, great. But they're not willing to f- acknowledge their half of what went wrong or ask forgiveness for their half. They're just glad that I know that I'm the one that's wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's not what reconciliation looks like. Yeah. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for being on the show today. If you want to learn more about Glenn, you can go to drglennpickering.com, P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G. And that's Glenn with two N's, mm-hmm. Dr. Glenn Pickering. He offers a lovely opportunity to talk to him on the telephone for 20 minutes, no charge, no strings attached. You'd be uh, amazed at how much you can learn from Glenn in 20 minutes. So. Go to my faith, or I'm sorry, go to drglennpickering.com. <laughs> and if you missed any of this interview, you can go to myfaithradio.com. Check out the podcast here from the beginning. Dr. Mark Muska, my friend and theologian, is going to come on the program for Ask the Professor. Get your questions ready. That's next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.